Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Novel Takes, the podcast where we lift the veil on business as usual. Join us for our novel takes on business, culture, and the art of getting things done. I'm partner and principal, Rachel Gans Boriskin. And I'm founder and principal, Sarah Patrick. It's time for a new novel take. Today is part two of our two-part series about remote work, the opportunities, the challenges, and what might get lost in the shuffle when we migrate away from the traditional workspace. In our last episode, we talked to a panel that has a diverse set of experiences with remote and hybrid work. They work in different industries, in different states, and are at different stages in their lives and careers. Last time, our panelists spoke about their experiences with remote work, paying specific attention to the particular nature of their work and where they are in their careers and life trajectories. If you haven't already heard the episode, you should give it a listen. In this episode, we are focusing on the challenges of managing employees, the opportunities for remote collaboration, and the work that needs to be done to create truly inclusive work environments. In the last episode, we included the voices of Brianna Hatch, Jessica Newworth, and Kafi Harrington. We recorded the interviews separately and brought our guests into virtual conversation with each other. As a result, in this episode, we will be hearing only from Jessica and Kafi as they explored these topics more deeply in our conversations. We'll let them reintroduce themselves. My name is Kathy Harrington. I'm the Chief Operations and Talent Officer at the ACLU of Massachusetts. My name is Jessica Newworth, and I am a longtime nonprofiteer. So I've worked in museums and nonprofits for many years, primarily as a curator, as an exhibit developer. I've transitioned into sort of the administrative side of things. I'm now a grants writer and manager, and I'm working to support the nonprofit world. If you're like me, you've been seeing a lot of articles about the future of work, with many companies pushing for a return to in-person work. While some in management make the argument that remote work has indulged workers too much and led to laziness, for the most part, the push has come from those who say there's some work that just is done better in person. In particular, they argue creativity and collaboration have been casualties of remote work. We asked Jessica for her thoughts on the matter. So my theory about creativity and collaboration in any work environment is that if the organization is committed, truly committed to collaboration, to giving employees the time to build the social networks that support collaboration, are committed to sharing authority across and up and down any org chart, if the organization really supports their employees in their whole life, then collaboration and creativity can happen remotely or in person. It doesn't matter. And because everybody is working together to actually ensure that all the voices are heard and brought into the, into the conversation and that time is allocated in every meeting for building community, all of those things can happen. And I can say that in my personal practice, we, in my particular part of the museum where I was working, we ensured that happened before the pandemic, it was part of why we were able to work remotely with so many of our colleagues around the country, which really enriched our perspectives. It brought us people that we would never have been able to talk to otherwise. And it, it worked during the pandemic. I can say that the organizations where that hasn't worked and where people are being you know, chivied back to work is because that they authentically don't actually believe in collaboration and in supporting creativity and the things that make it happen. So I think that the conditions of creativity and collaboration are necessary first 
and then you can sort out how it's going to happen. Sophie had certainly heard the critique about remote work and collaboration. I've certainly read many studies about, you know, how collaborative or brainstorming type of work is best done in person and, you know, execution is better done, you know, virtually if you have to make a choice. But for Kafi, remote work poses problems for execution itself. Some of this is related to the nature of the ACLU's work. So our teams work in what we call an integrated advocacy model and approach, meaning we have individual functions. So we've got communications team, communications and marketing. We've got our field teams. We're out doing public education, really engaging members and volunteers in public advocacy work. We've got the legislators, we've got the litigators, and we've got our legal resources team who take calls from people seeking support. All of these teams do work together. And so there's certainly projects that we may work on in their functional group, but then we have an integrated strategy at times. How are we going to cross these channels, try to have influence in the work that we do? And so when our teams are dispersed, that work can suffer. That isn't always. I mean, again, our teams are very adept at communicating well, but what I've observed is that what can happen is it can slow down decision-making because you don't have the opportunity if you're not in space together. So, you know, you're saying, okay, after this call, let's send that email to get people's feedback and then we're going to call another meeting to have. So some of those things can get slowed, but I, I just mentioned that to say that that is somewhat unique to our environment and the work that we do and the ways that teams work together, that when you have that opportunity, to, literally we have what are called huddle rooms. Hey, do you, a couple of you have a few minutes so we can talk this through and then you're, you're off to the next thing and you're each moving on to the parts that you now are responsible for. For Kafi, who works in operations, in-person work has specific benefits. To my realm in operations, because under my purview is HR, office administration, and IT. I had a new manager starting recently. Can you show me and walk through how to approve a time card? And sometimes, yeah, you can do that on Zoom, but we had to schedule the time because we weren't in the office together rather than, let me just stop by and show it to you. Boom, done. Jessica's work in museums also has some components that benefit from in-person interaction. In the kind of work that I do when I'm an exhibit developer, the connection to my visitors more than anything else drives what I did in that space and, and in that time. And that is an in-person thing. And it's, it's actually a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's energy building because you're really connecting to people who are actively taking your creations and doing crazy things with them and, and it makes them happy. And so, so that kind of connection is very crucial. Jessica takes it even further. There's great benefit to human beings coming together and talking and connecting in person. Like that's a wonderful thing. Although sometimes it can also be a very damaging thing. So we have to remember that. We can't forget that part of it. Social interaction is a great thing and we're wired for it as human beings, like neurologically speaking. Still, Jessica thinks that social interaction need not be something that happens solely offline. We would all benefit if there would be intentionality put into cultivating a remote culture of work. Like if we actually put the time and energy into thinking about what it means to build relationships remotely, what it means to invest time in conversation and not just those crazy fake check-ins, you know, are you green, red, or yellow today? Like not that, 
but real conversation that that builds the kinds of connections that happen in person. I feel like if we would thoughtfully do that work, then remote work, hybrid work would be all the better for it. And you know what? It would impact our in-person work because when we all come back together, we would have those connections built in that we would have developed remotely. And so I, I think it's prioritizing connection and conversation and social emotional development. Those are the pieces that as a work world that we need to prioritize. Kafi, on the other hand, is not so sure these kinds of connections can truly happen remotely. When people don't have existing relationships, it doesn't matter what type of work you're doing. When you're doing it through a remote means, it is difficult. That is what I've observed and also heard from other people is that that is what makes remote working through technology very challenging for people. If you don't have that existing relationship, you're building that relationship at the same time you're trying to get work done. And that's, that's pretty taxing for people. And Kavi had firsthand experience with this. When we first went all remote, I was really the only new person in the mix. And certainly over the course of that next year or two, when we were really continuing to evolve to where we are now, we have a lot of new people and we regularly have new people. So integrating new people is hard and getting to know people is hard. And so not having the opportunity to share space physically can be really difficult in building trust and building comfort, even if we're friendly and people trust you. Just having a comfort with each other. And so that can get in the way of people development and people's productivity because they may then be more reticent or not as comfortable to ask questions. It may feel like everybody else gets it and I don't. Often when we're on Zoom calls, we're in groups. So you may not have that opportunity, you know, the after conversation when you leave the meeting that you have in your physical space together. It's all relational, not only in the nature of the work we do outside our stakeholders, but also with each other. While Kafi started at the ACLU during the pandemic, Jessica recently started a new job, but with a hybrid schedule. The job I started at the Mark Twain House Museum, they've been lovely. That job is hybrid, and I didn't know any of these people walking in. I wasn't sure of the culture. And so I did, in fact, have to take many steps and, and continue to take those steps to ensure that people, even when I'm not there, that they know I'm around, that they know what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm being an over-communicator in so many ways. And when I'm there on the ground, I'm spending extra time trying to figure out how people work and what are all the politics and really digging into understanding this so that I can make success of this hybrid situation. Beyond building trust between colleagues, there are other aspects of being physically co-present that can affect an employee's work and career. As we listen to our guests speak, we couldn't help but think about the role of visibility in remote workplaces. Jessica saw several ways this could play out, depending on the culture of the organization. If an organization truly seeks to support all their employees in all aspects of their life and recognize that there are benefits to being both off-site and on-site, and, and to spreading that equitably as possibly around the staff. Visibility is not an issue because the management is committed to connecting and to making sure they've gotten everybody's opinion and to checking in all of those things. But in organizations where the perhaps staff are not trusted or where management is more hierarchical and controlling, you absolutely have to be there and you have to show up and you have to have a presence. So there's that piece of it. All of these questions really revolve around the organizational culture and how much that culture supports 
employees in all the things they need to do and, and actually cares about their employee as a human being and not just as somebody producing something. But after talking through it a bit, Jessica wasn't really sure that the issue was visibility at all. I will also say that the underlying piece to all kinds of visibility is not actually visibility, but it's time. It's being given the time to get to know your artist, get to know your visitors, get to know the staff. It's the time it takes to build a true relationship amongst all of these constituents. And that can be done in person and it can also be done remotely. But if you're not granted that time, none of that stuff works. Kafee saw the issue of visibility in a different light, particularly as it relates to staff development. Earlier in my career, I spent a good amount of time in corporate environments where there was a lot of attention paid to productivity on the day. Like, what did you accomplish today? That is not what Kafee has in mind. We can talk about this in many ways or many facets, but I'll say staff development, coaching, not strictly so the management of work, but management of people, because that requires coaching. It requires observation. It requires a lot of conversation that when you are focused either on video conferencing or otherwise asynchronously through email, right, in text rather than a face-to-face conversation, it can feel mechanical at times. It's less about, you know, I need to see what this person is doing at every moment and more about just having that lived experience together in space. And I think we lose that. That's not to say that we can't do it effectively through remote means. Yeah, a lot of our work is long-tailed and there's relational aspects to that work. There are campaigns and court cases that take time to build and execute over many weeks, even months. So our environment is less about what did you accomplish today? And this is where Kafi sees the challenges remote poses to collaboration. A lot of our coaching and our management is really coordination, collaboration of many moving parts, keeping folks in the loop and understanding what needs to be prioritized, what decisions need to be made, um, what are the things that are happening right now that influence those decisions. So it's a lot of, you know, that collaboration is a lot of information sharing, but not as just an FYI. It's information sharing so that we can each then make better decisions about what it is we need to do for the parts of work we're responsible for. So I think back to this important topic of managing people, and again, less about mechanically managing, but managing through relationship and coaching and feedback. For Jessica, it's about balance. And I've always thought that any kind of job which requires some in-person time, whether you're in the service industry or whether you're a frontline staff in a museum, yes, there's times when you must be there in person. But if you think it through and you think through all the pieces of that job, there's always pieces that can also be done remotely. And if you're flexible and thoughtful about it and intentional, you can work it out um, and you can balance. And then I think that if you balance at home with at work, people are far more happy to come in when they need to and they show up and they're happier and engaged and ready to go in ways that they might not be otherwise. It may be that employees who are able to work in a hybrid capacity come into the office happier and more engaged. Still, there are questions about how engaged they are when they are remote. Kafi recognizes the power of technology when it comes to remote and hybrid work, but she also sees the technologies creating their own challenges. One thing not definitely not unique to us is that some people learn differently, right? So some people especially if you've been on Zoom all day, if if so much of your work is in conversation, it's exhausting. 
some people are more visual. And so, you know, I, I know sometimes I like to get up at the whiteboard and just draw things out as we're, kind of, you know, thinking out loud together and learning out loud together. So that becomes a challenge. Relying on chat messages in a Zoom meeting is distracting to conversation. So as much as it allows more inclusivity, it also creates more of a distraction. While, by the way, we're all multitasking anyway, it makes it very difficult. The challenges Kafi identifies with the interaction of learning styles and technology are ones that parents came face to face with during the pandemic. For Jessica, who prior to the pandemic worked at a children's museum and who is the parent of a child with learning differences, these are issues she's thought about a great deal. My child started out very strong, but it became a challenge for her in ways that caused her to really not be able to get educated very well in a remote setting. And in thinking about, well, what would have made that better? I believe that there are ways that we can develop remote classrooms that would actually serve a whole range of students. I think that small group work, more interaction between teachers and students within a Zoom setting, like that there are ways to build classroom experience and accountability between students and teachers and to build that social connection that schools didn't prioritize, they didn't feel they needed to, they didn't know how to, they didn't realize it was important, you know, because all of this shifting happened so quickly. But I do believe that we could invest into really thinking about how to create the social and emotional setting that makes learning possible remotely. That will take research and time, but I think that that could be great and could really help many kids who struggle to get out of the house, who struggle with anxiety and a range of other disabilities. Developing better remote and hybrid cultures is important, whether for children or adults, because we all have times when we struggle. Fee is aware of the way the work of the ACLU itself can leave employees feeling depleted. Burnout is a thing. It's real for our staff. And, you know, it's not just figurative. It, it, it can happen in a day, whether it's one of our legal resources team volunteers taking a phone call for someone who's in crisis right at this moment, or the build up to a big case or presentation in the court or presenting a new bill, right? And there are a lot of big milestones that you can anticipate, but the daily stuff comes and goes in big waves and small waves. And so that takes a big toll. The toll burnout takes is just one of the factors Kafi is taking into account when thinking about the future of remote work at the ACLU. Recognizing that it's a challenge, recognize we all have different needs. There is no utopian state. It is a big, big challenge. I take it seriously. It's a lot of work and I'm grateful for the operations team I have. And I'm grateful for the colleagues that I have that appreciate the hard work, even though it's, it's not always easy for us to do together. I love the co-creation of it. And I think my belief is that as long as you have support teams and strategic partners in the people operations of an organization, that that is critical to making sure that people will feel all the more supportive, productive, and satisfied and engaged in their work, even when they're remote. In the end, for Kafi, it's the nature of the work at the ACLU that will dictate the degree to which employees engage in remote or hybrid work. I do believe remote work will continue. I do believe that we will continue to have an element of our work that is remote and not just remote from home or in office, but remote being around and about at the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That will continue because we need to be on the ground where people are that we're trying to help. I mean, our team are amazing at meeting the needs of the public, like the needs of those who we are aiming to help. 
and they are so dedicated. And I think that really will always take precedent, right? It's, I mean, that's why we're in business, right? That's why we even exist as an organization. When Jessica thinks about the future, one thing is very clear to her. For me, the future of all of these things is hybrid. It's not that she doesn't see challenges. You know, I think that remote work is one of those things that's deeply affected by your home life. And your home life comes from the world that you grow up in, your culture, your religion, and how these things shape gender and expectations and roles. So absolutely, the experience any one person might have of remote work or hybrid work and in-person work totally is shaped by where they come from. And so what kind of peace and quiet you might be able to carve out of your day with your family working around you will depend on whether your family accepts that you as a woman have, you know, have a right to work and don't actually have to be there making food and doing all these things all the time. I do think that there are a range of experiences. But in the end, she sees the trade-offs as worth it. I guess my plug for remote work is that at least you have the time and the space to navigate those things. Those things are going to impact your work, whether you're in person or remote, right? They will, no matter what. The expectations that your home and your, your family and your community have on you are there regardless. But when you can have a chance to work remotely, you have a little bit of time and space to figure out how you're going to navigate and negotiate these things. And that breathing room, to me, is really valuable. And that's what I would fight for, you know, in terms of keeping the possibility of either all remote or hybrid work. I think it allows you time to be yourself and to be your authentic self at home a little bit more. And that can support mental health in ways that is really important and can make you show up for work in a better place. As we mentioned at the top of the show, our guests didn't get an opportunity to speak with each other. Their exchange here is a result of the magic of audio editing. Rachel, because you did the editing across the three interviews, I wonder if there are any things that jumped out at you. Yeah, it's such a great question because I did spend a lot of time looking at the transcripts and finding points of convergence and divergence. And let's be clear, this was definitely more of an art than a science. I always see connections better when I print things out and can physically mark up a page. So the result here uh, is from pages of highlighted transcripts, sticky notes, little flags and notes scrawled in the margins and multicolored pens. I mean, there were moments that looked like a scene from a movie with a detective standing back looking at a wall covered with photos, notes, and clippings connected by red string. Did you make colored graphs and word clouds? Actually, I didn't, but you're giving me ideas. Oh, Lord. But back to your question, I think what struck me is the way that while almost everyone had a forced experience with remote or hybrid work, those experiences differed so much by age, career stage, home situation, and the work itself. Or rather, all three guests were concerned about similar things, but they approached them in distinct ways. For instance, while Kafi and Jessica both work in fields that interact heavily with the public, their views on the workability of hybrid and remote models were quite different. And while Brianna and Kafi spoke about the challenges of managing logistics in their work, Brianna talked about how much easier technology made that coordination, and Kafi felt it was harder than just planning in person. And while both Jessica and Kafi spoke of the importance of some face-to-face -face interactions, 
Brianna, who worked remotely before the pandemic, spoke of the close relationships she built with coworkers whom for years she'd not met in person. So you were there for the interviews, as well as looking at these edited podcasts. What struck you? I was struck by how top of mind this topic still appears to be for so many of us. It's clear that identifying a solution to how to work and how to work together in this post-COVID era is still something we are actively wrestling with and iterating upon. I'm excited for what other conversations and explorations that ultimately this causes us to tease out. I was also surprised to find more comfort with hybrid being the best for now solution for many of our guests. I have to admit, I went into this recording with the assumption that people would come down firmly on one side of the remote work debate or the other, and that didn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I think that the media have drawn this really clear distinction, these two battle camps of, you know, remote work or in-person work, and that the truth is that everyone is really coming down in the middle, and I don't think we're going to see a future where it's one or the other. Um, but yeah, everybody is doing a lot of thinking about this and in some exciting and interesting ways. I mean, we did originally plan for this to be a standalone episode. Yes, we did. But our guests had so many brilliant things to say, and I had so many sticky notes and highlighters, I just couldn't cut it down anymore. We want to thank our guests, Jessica Newworth and Kofi Harrington, who were generous with their time and insights, as well as Brianna Hatch, who joined us for our last episode. To learn more about them, you can check out their full bios on our website, thinknovel.com. If this conversation has piqued your interest and you want to hear more about what we have to say, stay tuned for other episodes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and review us. Give us some love. And if you're curious about what we do over at Novel or think we could help you or your organization, check us out or send us an inquiry over at thinknovel.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-N-O-V-L.com. That's it for us. Shout out to everyone who helped us make this show. This is Novel Takes.